We come now to our final sermon in our series of the Letters to the Churches of Asia Minor. And over the course of this series, we've been challenged by the Lord Jesus to examine ourselves both as a church, as soul church, but also as individuals and to look at all the blueprints of churches that we see here in these letters and to see if we, by our deeds and our lives, can receive the praise of God in matching those commendable churches or if there's anything that we need to repent of in seeing those churches that the Lord criticises. And here in Laodicea, this is arguably where we see the hardest words of Jesus, but also some of the greatest encouragement in the book of Revelation overall. Like the majority of the other churches, we see here that there is a misevaluation by the church of their well-being and ultimately their standard before God Almighty. And likewise, the Lord calls us today to examine ourselves and ask the question, am I, are we like the Laodiceans? Is our life shaped by our faith or is it a carbon copy of the culture around us? Or to use the words of Professor Michael Horton, do we have a Christless Christianity? We have three headings to guide us today, the indictment or a charge, the instruction and the inspiration, the indictment, the instruction, and the inspiration. So Laodicea was a Greek city in the region uh, called the Peloponnesus, uh, Peloponnesus in southern Greece. It was known as a wealthy economic hub. So you're starting to see the themes across each of these cities. Indeed, we see this expressed in the letter itself. They're renowned for their industry of the eyes, of clothing, and of their banking. And it was well positioned along trade routes as a result. Of course, the religious climate of the city was pagan, and we've heard about different pagan religions in the region across this series. And of course, there were Greek and Roman gods. So wealthy was this city that in 60 AD, when there was a huge earthquake, the Roman Empire offered to rebuild the city for them, but the city said, no, thank you. We'll rebuild it ourselves. And we read from Tacitus, a historian of the time, that the city was even more glorious after being rebuilt by them. In Colossians 1 verse 7, we see that Epaphras was the missionary who God used to establish the church in the region. And we see here that the Lord Jesus introduces himself, as he does in the other parts of this book, by drawing attention to some of his attributes and at the same time calling to attention that which the church lacks. So let's have a look there to see what the Lord says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. By Amen, this in Hebrew equates to faithful and true, which we see repeated again for us in full. So here we see Christ declaring himself as faithful and true. And furthermore, a true witness to God the Father, who we see clearly in the Gospels being revealed to us. And we see the Lord Jesus himself using this imagery again. The, Lord, uh, the Father and I are one, and those who have seen me have seen the Father. And in Hebrews 1, we read that, the, that Christ is the exact imprint of his divine nature, just like the wax seal and the ring Christ is of the Father. 
The Laodiceans, friends, on the other hand, are not faithful. They are the opposite. We also see in Isaiah 65 that God promises a new creation, which we see confirmed in the declaration of the beginning of God's creation. And so Christ here in his introduction is drawing attention to this promise. You'll remember in Colossians where Christ is defined as the firstborn of the dead. With the death and resurrection of Christ, he ushers in the work of the new creation, both in people through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the sharing of the gospel. And as we see later in Revelation, the new heavens and earth. So remember the first chapter of Revelation where Jesus refers to himself? He, we read this here. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So Jesus here is calling attention to these introductions that he's already given of himself. And he's drawing attention to what they lack, spiritual life. And so as we come to this letter, we must remember Christ in this way, the firstborn, the one who ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, the one who allows us to have a relationship with God the Father. He is powerful. He is majestic. He is reigning. And all of these attributes are important because this is what the church of Laodicea is forgetting. They're forgetting who Jesus is. So with his introduction over, we now have the indictment. Christ declares that he examined the church and that there is uh, that he's been found they've been found wanting. There is a difference between what they perceive to be their spiritual health and what their spiritual health is truly. Look at verse 15. I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So there's nothing good to say about the church at all. And this is the distinguishing feature of this letter from the rest. There's nothing good to say about them. Now, lukewarm, I'm sure you've all heard of this passage being used, but it's important to remember that the imagery here is different from what we use in our time. So if we say something is hot, it means on fire, full of life and vibrant, and cold, we think of the morgue, stone cold. But this is not what Jesus is referring to here. Jesus is referring to the water system that the Laodiceans had in order to bring for them imagery to consider. So Laodicea had to pipe in water by use of aqueducts. And I'm sure you've all seen the BBC documentaries about the huge arches and the water coming in. It's a wonderful piece of architecture. But for the Laodiceans, this meant that they had a reputation of having bad water. Because by the time the hot water came in and the cold water came in, it was dirty, it was polluted, and it was a lukewarm taste, full of sediment, and it made people feel sick. And as a result, um, the Laodiceans hated their water and it was unhealthy. I'm sure you've had bad water from the tap after a hot day. You've come, you've turned it on and you've experienced that. Or if you've been on camp and you've had a, um, gritty water, think of that. And so Christ gives this assessment 
of the Laodicean church. He's, not, he's saying here that I wish you either hot, which has value, or cold, because that's refreshing, rather than this awful, lukewarm water. The Lord Jesus, frankly, he is saying, you make me feel sick. It's not a reputation you'd want from the Lord himself. They're lukewarm. The Christian world we live in, lukewarmness is encouraged. To be on fire is not really praised universally. We live in a time which says that communing with God daily is not necessary, not praying daily. You don't have to pray daily to Jesus. That's just something that mature Christians do. In many parts of our Christian world, we've equated evangelism to inviting someone to a course, say the Alpha course, rather than us sharing the gospel ourselves. Our times of fellowship can be more about our week and our jobs and our children rather than talking about Jesus and building people up in the faith. We can limit the importance of corporate prayer. We can say no to the corporate prayer meeting each week and I'll just stay inside and watch TV, thank you. And finally, to be an on-fire Christian is just for something uh, for people who want to go into the ministry rather than being the norm to which you and I as lay people should aspire. Lukewarmness is in our Christian world. And the warning from Christ is simple. If the church does not repent of his worldliness, he will spit them out. He'll throw it in. Sardis received a similar warning. So did Ephesus. The warning of removing the lampstand. And so we must take notice, examine ourselves. How are we seeing ourselves drifting away from the scriptures? Are we seeing ourselves compromise in our prayer life and put other things in greater importance? We must be wary that over time this can happen, particularly because we're wealthy Christians. Look in verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Friends, we see the church here is focused on their wealth, and they think because they are wealthy that they have made it as a church, that they don't need to rely on God anymore. They've got it. Thank you very much. The sin of self-reliance. There's been a transfer on, of uh, reliance upon God and his provision for their well-being and a movement to their work, to their industries that we've heard read. And we see this throughout all of the scriptures. The people will be with God and commune with God and over time they'll slowly drift away. Idols will seep in and they will focus on worldly things instead. And COVID-19, I don't want to say that word, but it was good for us in helping us remember that we are not in control, that we are not the masters of our own faith, that jobs are temporary, that wealth can evaporate. And so if you're here today and you have moved through the pandemic and you've been trusting in God, praise God for that. As things become easier, Lord willing, 
Don't let that focus shift back to yourself, to your job, and to your family. Ensure that your trust is in God alone. So that we're not like the Laodiceans who think they're really all right, but they're not. They're bare before God. And so although they might be valued by the world, they're in fact not really valuable in what they're presenting to Christ. And so is this you? Are you entangled in your job or in your wealth or hopes for the future? Are you prioritising your children or your marriage over Jesus? Christ warns in the parable of the sower that the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth can choke faith and draw people away. And it starts off all right. Wanting to, be, wanting to work hard is a good thing. Wanting to have an inheritance for your children, I remember Paul Matthews preaching on this once, is a good thing. But over time, it can be deadly. In Haggai, we read um, the Lord's lament there that there's, the people are so consumed with building their own houses and his own house is in disarray. Is that you? Are you driven by status or wealth? Or are you consumed by entertainment and ease and comfort? Wake up. The instruction. Jesus now directs the church to action. Look in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. We see Jesus here addressing the source of their, uh, their pride and we see this throughout the scriptures. Jesus knows the point that he needs to press. The three major industries of the city. So we've heard that Laodicea was known for ex expertise with eyes, medicine of the eyes, and they had a school of medicine there. Um, textiles, particularly black wool, was what they were known for, and banking. We see Christ call the church to buy gold from him rather than relying in their worldly wealth. If we remember from 1 Peter, Peter calls attention to this in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Too easily we can think that we are okay because of our wealth. We must constantly remind ourselves of Christ's atoning work for us. It's not how much we earn that is our value before God, but rather it is Christ and Christ alone. The spiritual nakedness is also exposed by Jesus here. And he says that they are required to be clothed by Christ himself, his righteousness. And white robe, again, is an imagery that we see throughout. Purity, cleanness. And indeed, Christ himself is clothed in, clothed in white in Revelation. And this is in contrast to the black wool of Laodicea, black and white. 
And finally, there is need to have their eyes opened. We know the Pharisees throughout the Gospels were uh, convinced that they knew God, but they only knew about him. Their eyes were darkened and they were blind. And that is the risk for all of us here as Presbyterians, as evangelicals. You pride yourselves on your doctrine. Many of you read John Calvin and the Reformers. But do you know Christ or do you just know things about Christ? We can equate the books on our shelves with maturity in Christ. And so Christ here is calling the church to reorientate themselves back to himself, to cast off their idols and come to him in repentance and faith. And in Isaiah 55, we read this promise, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. The hardest thing about preaching a message like this, I think, is that many of you are sitting here thinking you're fine, especially as a church. I love coming to Soul Church because you love Jesus. You worship him truly in your singing and the preaching here is great. But as a criminologist, I know that one of the biggest risks is thinking that it would never happen to us. And so this is the risk for you here. David Jones, unfortunately, will not be in this pulpit forever. The man, the man you appoint might look good on paper, he might do well in the interview, but over time you might find that he no longer preaches against sin, he talks more about his wife than Jesus, he doesn't call you to evangelism, he's more worried about looking good for you and making you laugh rather than pushing you to Jesus. So over time, you might find that though you're strong now, that over time you might slip away from him as a church. No church is immune from lukewarmness. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Corinthians. He who is strong, be careful not to fall. The reformers emphasise that we must always be reforming. There's never the standpoint of having done it. So committee, take your duty seriously, fast and pray, look up all the sermons you can from this man, don't just skim the material. And congregation, pray that the Lord would give you a man who loves him and pursues him. Verse 19, we read this, those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This church doesn't have Jesus at all. They think they are standing well with him, but it's actually to the contrary. Jesus has left the building. And so for us, we must ask ourselves, have we left Jesus outside? Is he here with us? Individually, 
Are we just coming to church and going through the motions? Or are we living with him each day of the week? And this is the beautiful news of this passage. The church has left them. The church has left Christ and he's not present, but he's knocking at the door. So friend, if you've noticed that you've been lukewarm, if you're not praying, if you're not reading your Bible and you're just here to save face, Jesus will welcome you back. He wants you back. He wants to dine with you. And Soul Church, know that he will always be there for you. But you can't close him out. The Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Each day you and I do things which go against God's law. But Christ died on the cross to take our penalty that we deserve. And he rose after three days. By trusting in this and what he has done, you and I are made clean of our sin. We're not guilty anymore. And we can enjoy a relationship with God. And this is the hope that we have. Jesus will pursue us. All through the scriptures, we see that God is the one making the initiation. The people will move away, but he will come back for them. So take that to heart. Laodicea had lost Jesus, but he had not lost them. And finally, we close with the inspiration. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So you've heard me say it before that we have that hope of looking forward to reigning with Christ forever, where there'll be no sin, there'll be no conflict, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no guilt before God. We will be with him forever. The horrible things that we saw um, with um, sexual abuse and we heard in the prayers too will be gone. All our inadequacies will be fixed and we'll be pure with Jesus forever. And so that's our hope. Keep reflecting on that throughout the week. Meditate on what is to come. When you're suffering, think of your new body. When you feel absent from God, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. His mercies are manifold and renew each day. If you're lukewarm, you can come to him when we pray together and ask for his forgiveness and he will renew you and he will strengthen you. And so this is the final call. Verse 22, he who is near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Have you been listening to these sermon series? Look back on these verses. Identify where you need to repent. Praise God for the work that he's done in you. And praise God that he will redeem us uh, if we are left wanting. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you that you are merciful. And we thank you that you pursue us when we leave you. We're conscious that we, at times, can be more concerned about the world than you. We're conscious that we're more concerned at times about pleasing men and not pleasing you. And, Father, we know that at times we can get away with saying the right words and looking like a Christian. 
We ask, Lord, that you would forgive our sin. We ask, Lord, that you would please comfort us and wash away our guilt. Please help us, Lord, to think about you and to meditate on you. Lord, help this church to pursue you continually. And we pray, Lord, that you would raise up a new pastor to lead Soul Church who, who loves you, who is orthodox and who is courageous. And we praise you, Lord, for the growth um, that we've seen here in Soul Church over the time. Please help us, Lord, this week to not just live for you now on Sunday, but every day. Amen.